This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Before the break, we got a call asking, how come we're putting so much pressure on drivers? What about pedestrians? Should they not be responsible for their own safety? We've been talking about the difference that uh, local councillors in Mississauga have been making to improve road safety. And up on our committee this morning on our panel is uh, Pat Sato, Mississauga City Councillor for Ward 9 and Chair of the Road Safety Committee as well as Albert Cole. He's a road safety advocate, environmental lawyer. Uh, We've had him occasionally here on Fight Back as well and founder of Toronto Community Bikeways Coalition. Pat, what do you say when people call in and and say, listen, you're putting too much pressure on drivers? You know, I I agree with the caller 100%. I have to say that um, road safety is a shared responsibility. And um, if you were to look at some of the Vision Zero, I, I don't want to say purists because I think we're all purists. We all we all want that zero. But um, when we brought our motion forward, when I brought the motion forward for Mississauga to pass the Vision Zero strategy, um, I had a sentence in it saying that road safety is a shared responsibility and that pedestrians, motorists, cyclists all need to work together to make sure that they're safe. And, and reduce injury and fatalities. So we, we do put some of the onus on the pedestrian. Right now, we're doing a lot of pedestrian education. Um, we provide reflectors, which I know when, uh, when the police did that in Toronto, I had a, some media outrage. But uh, we tell people, you know, make sure that you're seen at night. Wear a reflector so that uh, motorists can see you. And, you know, push the button to cross the road. We, our, our kids are great. They learn it in school. They're still getting all of that education in school for cycling and as being a pedestrian. And we educate the adults as well. You know, um, I've seen people walk out with their cell phone in front of them, stepping out in front of cars. They have a responsibility to not do that. And, you know, if, if a, if a motorist strikes a pedestrian, First of all, the pedestrian has, you know, as we've said, a greater risk of fatality. But the the impact is also on that motorist. If, um, you know, if they basically did nothing wrong except be there and someone steps out right in front of their car, which has happened, it, the impact is all around. Everyone is affected. So, yes, we do. We do tell pedestrians that they have a responsibility and we balance our educational campaigns. Right. It's a shared responsibility. Absolutely. Interesting, Albert. Um, According to a new CAA study, COVID-19 has impacted Ontarians' behaviour and in some cases prompted less driving and more walking. So, ironically, more of us are pedestrians as a result of the pandemic. Yeah, and and that's the fundamental of Vision Zero is that uh, we all must make mistakes. So there's probably no one listening today that hasn't made a mistake, whether as pedestrian, a cyclist, or driver. But the difference, of course, is that we want to design our roads so that mistakes, which are inevitable and predictable, aren't a death sentence. And, and we know that, of course, the weaker of the road users, in other words, the more, more vulnerable of the road users, will pay the price. And, and just to respond to your um, uh, caller, there are no good days of road safety. You know, we've been hearing for 100 years, literally, about uh, the importance of being safe on the roads. But, you know, 50 years ago, the number of people killed on our roads was probably twice as much. And if you go back to the 1920s in Toronto, there were more people killed on our roads. And during all of that period, that's what our politicians preached. Oh, everyone, you know, we've got to be safer if everyone is uh, or more careful and cautious. And if they are, we won't have this problem. Well, the problem is that people make mistakes. And Vision Zero, the objective is to design our roads, wider sidewalks, more mid-block 
crossings, lower speed limits, more bike lanes, so that when people do make mistakes, which is inevitable, it's not a death sentence. Mm-hmm. We don't accept that if people make a small mistake, and everyone will at some point, uh, that should not uh, end up being a death sentence. And that's why road design and uh, har- you know harnessing speed is so important. I want to get back to our callers here in just a moment, but joining the panel for now is Jessica Bell. She is the new Democrat MPP for the riding of University Rosedale and has proposed the Vulnerable Road Users Law, known as Bill 62. Jessica, welcome. Thanks for having me. Uh, Give us a recap of of what you're trying to change provincially. On Wednesday, the Vulnerable Road Users Law will be going to a full vote and it will bring in, if it passes, tougher penalties for drivers who, while they are breaking the law, injure or kill a pedestrian, cyclist or worker on the road. In other words, if a driver is breaking the road rules, texting, speeding, etc., and they injure or kill someone as a result of that, they will face tougher penalties. How likely is this to pass? I believe that road safety is a completely nonpartisan issue. Mm-hmm. I think it is important that the Ontario government and all parties uh, take reasonable steps to make our roads safe, and this is a law that will make our roads safer. Mm-hmm. And, and explain to us uh, how the penalties would change under this bill if it were to become law. Mm-hmm. These penalties would include license suspension until the driver takes a driver education course, community service, and a requirement to go to court and hear a victim impact statement. And the reason why this is important is it's because it will reduce the chances of a driver becoming a repeat offender. Right now, if a driver um, kills or injures a road worker or a cyclist or pedestrian, often they walk away with a slap on the wrist, maybe a fine. They never have to turn up to court They never have to hear a victim impact statement that's often carefully and painfully prepared by families. And that is very hard for people that have lost a loved one, a mother, a daughter, a sister. This would, it's it's not increasing jail time. The whole purpose of it is for drivers to understand the consequences of their actions if they broke the law and... Uh, for there to be uh, real recourse. You're listening to Zoomer Radio's Fight Back, Jane, for Libby. I want to get our callers in here. Jan and Guelph, what would you like to add quickly? Well, I'd just like to say thank you to the gentleman who said that uh, too much uh, pressure is put on the drivers. I'd like to see um, a a law that comes in that if uh, uh, you are not allowed to cross the road anywhere um, without, with a text, uh, with a phone in your hand texting, that should not be allowed. And if you are injured or whatever, sadly, you are also phoned if you were doing that. Jan, thank you for calling. Let's go to Helen in Toronto. Uh, I just wanted to drop Jan there. Let's go to Helen. Uh, What are your thoughts on what we're discussing here? Uh, Hi. Uh, When we were in school, we were taught always walk against the traffic so that you can see who's coming and they can see you. We were also told don't wear black. Night comes at 4.30 now. You know, you take a look at what's happening around. People are going out for a walk then, wonderful, healthy. But don't walk the same way the traffic is driving. You can't see what's coming towards you. The one thing that I find has made a difference in my driving is where you see the speed and it flashes as soon as you get five miles yes. in. Yes, That may, I see that now. Okay, fine. Let's check the number here. Yeah, exactly. I like that as well. Yeah, it's made a big difference because uh, it takes nothing. You don't, especially if nobody's ahead of you, to go from 40 to 50 and not know it. Right. Thank you. So, Thanks for calling in and sharing your experience and your thoughts. Okay. Take care. Bye. We're getting to the end of the program here, so we'll uh, get to final thoughts now from our guests. We've been speaking with Pat Sato, Mississauga City Councillor for Ward 9, Chair of the Road Safety Committee. So what's next, Pat? You say you've brought down fatalities um, by five over the last year or from year to year. I mean, if we incrementally went in that direction, sadly, there would still be lives lost. But in five years, we would be at Vision Zero in Mississauga. Yeah, and, you know, I'd like to see us get there a lot before five years. Um, one, one of the things that when you ask what was next, I'm listening to the MPP and her bill, which I think is good. We are, our big push right now 
is um, with the Ontario Good Roads Association is to get the province of Ontario to a, to establish and adopt a Vision Zero strategy. We're one of the few provinces that actually does not have one. And we have sent two motions to the province, and the Minister of Transportation keeps writing back and saying, oh, well, there's federal one we follow. So uh, we need one in Ontario. We need the province behind us. We need them backing up all of these measures that we're taking and making it easier for us to implement things. Um, you know, even when they when they allow us to bring in automatic speed enforcement, there are so many restrictions around that that it makes it very difficult for us to make a huge impact on reducing those speeds. So we, we really need to push for a Vision Zero strategy for the province. Albert Cole, in 30 seconds, uh, you're the founder of Toronto Community Bikeways Coalition. Uh, your thoughts? Very quickly. Uh, number one, acknowledge that we've got a huge job ahead of us to make streets uh, safe for people. Streets have been designed for uh, motor traffic movement. Number two, uh, funding that's uh, commensurate with the problem. And number three, uh, action. And Jessica Bell, NDP MPP for University Rosedale, I'm sure you would like everybody to contact their MPPs to vote in favor of this bill that comes forward on Wednesday. Absolutely. It is a nonpartisan issue and this is a practical thing that we can do in the next week to make our roads safer for all. Finally, I have introduced a bill calling for Ontario to join BC and Alberta and move forward with a Vision Zero approach to road safety. It has worked in other provinces and countries. It can work here in Ontario. Excellent discussion. Thank you all for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Jane, for Libby, I'll be back for one more day tomorrow when our strategy panelists join us. In the meantime, the number ones at one are coming up next after Bob Comsex News. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby is on vacation. She is back on Wednesday. Let's look at what's being done in Mississauga to make that city's streets safer for vulnerable road users, pedestrians, cyclists, and motorcyclists. Yesterday was World Day of Remembrance for road traffic victims. And in Mississauga, the Civic Center clock tower was dimmed to honor those who've lost their lives been injured and had their lives forever changed by a road collision. There is a comprehensive effort in Mississauga to raise awareness about the impact collisions have on victims, their families, friends, and emergency services crews and first responders. More there still needs to be done, not just in Mississauga, but across the GTHA as well. But this is a good jumping off point for a conversation. And you live in the GTA uh, or the GTHA, give us a call uh, and uh, share your experiences with how safe or unsafe you think the roads are and why. 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-740-4740. It's always a hot topic here on Fight Back. Joining me to discuss the issue, Pat Sato is Mississauga City Councillor for Ward 9 and Chair of the Road Safety Committee in Mississauga. And Albert Cole is a road safety advocate, environmental lawyer, and founder of Toronto Community Bikeways Coalition. Thank you both for joining us. Pat, tell us what you're doing in Mississauga to make a positive impact, to make roads safer. Okay, um, so we, we have a multi-pronged approach to our Vision Zero strategy. We uh, Council approved the Vision Zero strategy in t- 2018, and we are using a mix of education, engineering, um, technology, wherever we possibly can to make the roads safer for pedestrians and for motorists and cyclists as well. Uh, this past year, we this summer actually, uh, council approved a motion I brought forward to extend our automated speed enforcement cameras to uh, 22 across the city. That gives us two for each ward in the city, and they're being employed in school zones. Uh, prior to that, we have reduced speed limits on all of our residential streets across the city. So, um, you know, if you're on a Crescent, a, uh, a drive, whatever, your speed has been reduced from 50 to 40, 
and to 30 in all school zones that are on residential roads. That is excellent. That, that's what we need to be doing here in the city of Toronto. That, that, that's phenomenal. Yeah, so, um, you know, we, we started out small. Uh, we started last year with two speed cameras, and um, I didn't want to wait for us to, you know, spend a few years adding more, so brought a motion forward to make it 22, jumped to 22 from two, and council unanimously supported it. We have a lot of support on council, uh, unanimous support for uh, speed control measures, for safer road measures, um, I wish we had as much community support for those reduced speed limits as we have on council, however. Oh, is that right? So people are complaining in neighborhoods that they have to go too slowly, maybe not on their own streets, but people who are using the streets? <laughs> yeah, some of them even on their own street. Um, when we brought in one of the cameras in my ward, when the signs went up saying that the cameras were coming, I had one resident say to me, well, Will they only be turned on during school hours? Because, you know, it's really painful to drive 30. Um, and I said, well, you know, it's probably adding 30 seconds or one minute to your time <laughs> at the most. Um, yes, they will be used in other than, than school hours. So, you know, we, we're trying to keep your neighborhood safe for your neighbors. But uh, we, we've had that... Um, that comment from other, mostly motorists, people who don't want to add a little bit of time, they don't want congestion. Uh, A lot of them use the environmental impact argument that if you reduce speed, if you reduce lanes, which we're also doing, uh, changing some roads from four to one lane and adding bike lanes, um, that the congestion is going to create greenhouse gases and therefore we're not helping the environment. So all kinds of arguments against it. Albert Cole, I mean, when I hear about that, that all residential streets, uh, the speed limit has been reduced to 40, uh, I'm sure you would agree that here in Toronto, if we could get that happening, that would make a huge difference. There are still so many residential streets that are 50 kilometers an hour, and that's fast, you know, on, on, a, on a street with homes and children and, and pedestrians. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, well, well, in fact, in Toronto, in the um, in the old city of Toronto in East York, all of the residential streets are at thirty kilometers an hour now, and 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 there's very strong popular support to, for that as well. And it's sort of I had to laugh when you said uh, uh, people want it on their own street. And I, I think that is the way it works. Like a lot of people will say, "Yeah, I want to drive fast on someone else's street, right. but on my street, I want people yeah. to drive slowly." Yeah. Yeah. And people understand, right? I mean, if you drive faster. That's going to be a, a risk to you know the people that you love, that you know, your 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 family members. So people have come to understand that and to accept it. In fact, what I've really found encouraging is that at city council, when these things are debated, then all of a sudden a councillor will pop up and say, "I also want it for you know my local area." So 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 seeing councillors advocate and to speak for their own residents who want the lower speed limits uh, has been really a surprising result because that came, you know, that's very recent. In 2012, both the public health officer and the coroner recommended 30 and 40, 30 kilometers on residential, 40 on uh, arterials. And there was um, initially, uh, you know, a a backlash from some media and some councillors, but it turned out there was very strong uh, popular support. Well, thank you for reminding us about East York and their residential speed limits of 30 kilometers an hour. Why can't we get that across the whole city? I live on a residential street near Burnham Thorpe and uh, Martin Grove, and it's 50 kilometers an hour. And it's a street full of homes. And I was saying this on Free for All Friday, actually, that people use it as a thoroughfare between Bloor and Burnham Thorpe. It's really frustrating and and dangerous. Yeah, it's... um I mean, the job is uh, huge because uh, culturally, you know, since the 50s, we've uh, promoted speed and uh, the movement of as many cars uh, as possible. But uh, um, we do see that uh, change too slowly, (laughs) ironically. But um, uh, and because our road system is really built, as I say, to move cars fast. So it's a huge job. We can't underestimate that. And what we do know from speed cameras, we've got 50 here in uh, Toronto, uh, for a, quite a vast area, but we know that speeding is endemic, and that's mm-hmm. partly the way roads are designed. It's also partly the way we've been designing cars 
and selling them for the last you know 70 years promoting uh, speed and power and uh, that that's another reason that this uh, job is a big one and uh, is going to take a real dedication of effort uh, both uh, from the community and uh, from council I just want to remind our friends listening that the phone lines are open I know this is always traffic safety pedestrian safety it's always an issue um, for all of us who live in this city and we want to see the numbers of injuries and traffic fatalities reduced. There have been all kinds of efforts under Vision Zero, but we're still seeing numbers that are too high and nowhere near zero. Numbers to call are 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Pat, Mississauga has the second lowest rate of fatalities and injuries compared with other GTHA municipalities. Tell us more about that accomplishment. Well, you know, we we do, as you had mentioned, I chair our Road Safety Committee, which is a citizen committee, and that's been in existence since 1991, actually. Um, And, you know, I I find that peer, I don't want to say pressure, but peer education is um, the best way to get messages through to citizens. Um, you know, we politicians, we can, we can talk all we want, and sometimes people get tired of listening to us, but um, I always find when our citizen committee comes up with a campaign, and I have a really active committee right now, um, some really brilliant and engaged people. So, that, you know, we've been coming up with campaigns against speeding, um, pedestrian awareness. We, we don't um, do the cycling. We have a cycling committee that deals with that. And we have a school safety committee that deals with um, with school issues, crossing guards, um, you know, traffic issues around schools. But I think at it with the uh, enforcement cameras, um, you know, we, we have been able, like, for example, this year, and I don't have a breakdown between Mississauga and Brampton, but um, our Peel police stats for uh, 2021 up until the end of September, we had 25 deaths on um, on our roads in the region of Peel. And for the entire year, or sorry, in 2020, for the same period of time, that number was 30. So, you know, you can say it's a good thing that we have five fewer, but those are 25 people, yeah. 25 families, and, and multiple more friends and neighbors who... Um, who are victims as well. So, you know, we're, we're doing a lot, but Vision Zero means even one loss of life is one too many. So we do need to do more, but we also, you know, we, we need our citizens to buy in. And, you know, li- listening to the comments of what was happening in Toronto, you're right, everybody wants it on their street to protect their family, their neighbours. But when they go somewhere else, they want to be able to move quickly because everyone's in a hurry these days. Let's go to Tim in Brampton. Tim, what would you like to add? Uh, What really upsets me is you people talking in kilometers per hour. 30 kilometers an hour is 18 miles an hour. 40 kilometers, 25 miles an hour. Now, you try and drive a new car on Charlotte Boulevard in Brampton, at 30 kilometers an hour with its grade, and it's damn near impossible, and I use cruise control. Well, I, you know, that's an interesting perspective. Um, Albert, I have a brand new car. I have no problem driving 30 on some of the streets. And, you know, we've been t- we have been metric. We <laughs> we do kilometers an hour since the 70s. So I'm, I'm not certain I understand the complaint. But is 30 kilometers an hour? Uh, is it a challenge for some vehicles? Well, it, it, it's certainly a challenge for anyone to survive a crash as a pedestrian or cyclist that's it mm-hmm. you know for every increment over 30 kilometers an hour you're you know you're more likely to have someone seriously injured or killed and at 50 kilometers an hour uh, a, you know a pedestrian that's hit by a car uh, will likely die and with every increment above 50 uh, that person is more likely to die until it's almost a certainty so 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 that's what you know what's been driving so to speak, the uh, you know the impetus uh, driving the uh, uh, calls uh, for lower speed limits is we know that uh, humans are fragile 
And it doesn't matter who makes the mistake, whether it's the, the motorist or the cyclist or the pedestrian. We know that the, um, you know, the fragile human is going to, which is everyone outside of a car, is going to be the first to, to suffer. So it's really based on science and uh, even beyond the science. And, you know, we've known for, since uh, cars have been invented that uh, the bigger the vehicle and the faster it's going, the more likely it will uh, be to inflict harm. Let's go to Craig in Etobicoke. Craig, your comment or question? Hey, how are you? I'd just like to say about speed limits and speed cameras and everything else. Also on the other side, enough people don't talk about pedestrian education. And back when I grew up, um, you know, we used to have education for pedestrians. Look both ways, cross the street safely and briskly. And I don't see enough awareness and onus on the pedestrian. We want to demonize the driver all the time. Well, drivers go through education and driving schools and everything, and I don't see pedestrians being educated. They're walking, they're texting, they're not looking, they're not scanning, they're not crossing the street properly. And I'm not saying it's all the fall of pedestrian, but I think we got to put the onus on pedestrians. All right, thank you for that viewpoint. And Craig, when we come back from our break, I will get our experts uh, to comment on that. Are we putting too much pressure on the drivers to keep the roads safe and not the pedestrians? Your calls are welcome as well, 41. 416- 6360-0740 or 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby returns from vacation on Wednesday. I'm hearing from grandparents how pleased they are that their younger grandchildren will soon receive a first dose of COVID vaccine. We found out this morning from Health Minister Christine Elliott that as of 8 a.m. tomorrow, parents may book an appointment for their 5 to 11-year-old children to receive their first shot of the lower-dose Pfizer vaccine. This is the first of a few hot topics we will discuss with our Zoomer squad who join us every Monday at this time. David Kravitz is Chief Membership Officer at CARP and Vice President at Zoomer Media. Bill Van Gorder is Chief Operating and Chief Policy Officer at CARP. And Peter Mugridge is Senior Editor of Zoomer Magazine. Hello, squad. Hi, everyone. Hi, Jane. Hello, Jane. Well, tomorrow is a good day for extended families across the province, Bill, and across the country as well. It certainly is, and there's a lot of relief among our CARP members and their other older Canadian friends uh, right across the province and across the country. They've been waiting for this to be able to more comfortably get together with the uh, young people in their lives. You know, the the, the, dis- the disassociation, the distancing, the isolation that, uh, that seniors have felt uh, from their loved ones, especially uh, grandchildren has one, been one of the the huge results of uh, of COVID over the last uh, uh, two years, and finally there's a solid light at the end of the tunnel. We know that the young people are going to be vaccinated, and once they've had their vaccine, we'll be able to get together with them uh, again. It's it's a milestone in the progress. Be, getting back to pre-COVID times. It absolutely is. And if what Bill is saying resonates with you as you're listening along and you'd like to tell us your story of grandparenting during the COVID pandemic and how important this milestone is of getting your younger grandchildren vaccinated, give us a call, 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-744-740. David Kravitz, uh, what are your thoughts as we get into this next phase? Well, I think it's a great thing. I share Bill's um, uh, reaction to it. I would point out, though, that um, there's a lot of um, individual decision-making that's going to be made by the parents of their grandchildren. I don't think there's a... I think we, we can't leave out that intermediary there. It's not just the grandparents and the grandchildren. Um, are there other health issues? In my, in my case, uh, there's an asthma worry with uh, uh, that people are... You know, my, my daughter's looking at closely. So it's not going to be necessarily um, 
one size fits all. And I think that it will a lot will depend on the advice of the individual uh, pediatricians or doctors and uh, the decisions of the parents. Well, certainly, uh, and I'm sorry, we don't have Peter Mugridge today. He joins us again next week. So we've got David Kravitz and Bill Van Gorder here talking about issues important to Zoomers. Uh, certainly, there are very few exceptions, uh, Bill, to those who can get vaccinated. I was chatting this morning uh, along with Liz West on the morning Zoom. We were chatting with Dr. Anna, Anna Banerjee about, uh, and she's an infectious disease a pediatric specialist, and there really are few exceptions. Uh, for those who should not get the COVID vaccine in that 5 to 11 age group. That's right. That's what we're uh, hearing, uh, too. It is. And, and certainly, you know, as always, go at, go by the advice of your medical professionals. Uh, is something that we would always do. But for the vast majority, uh, it's going to be uh, a, a, an opening up of relationships again that that uh, weren't possible uh, before, and uh, hopefully the uh, uh, decisions not to use the vaccine will be few and far between. Uh, you know, just anecdotally, a friend of mine at our family cottage who I speak with, she has all kinds of grandchildren. Her name is Mary, and she's a big fan of the radio station. Uh, and she was not going to be seeing her grandchildren who were 5 to 11 until they got vaccinated as they returned to in-person learning. So I know, David, that this is um, this has been um, very stressful for extended families in trying to be as careful as possible so that, well, you know, obviously double vaccinated grandparents are well protected with the shot, but the grandparents didn't want to be carriers of COVID vaccine to their to the young grandchildren either. Well, that's, I think that's a big issue. I think that's quite true. Um, you know, the grandparents might be safe, and then, but what are they bringing with them? Um, I must say I don't have a sense from the people I know that the lack of vaccines for the 5 to 11-year-olds was a universally applied barrier to contact. I think the amount of contact once the grandparents were vaccinated uh, was quite widely distributed between, no, we're going to wait till the kids get vaccinated. It's FaceTime, you know, until, until they get that jab all the way across the spectrum to, um, well, I'm vaccinated, so I'm protected. So I'm going to go see the little folks, um, maybe with a mask, mm-hmm. maybe without a mask. Um, I, I think it was, I don't think that everybody was, um, holding back from from contact altogether. And I think it was complicated by the fact that the schools were open. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if it's safe for them to go to school without being vaccinated, uh, why is it not safe for me to see them when I've been vaccinated? And of course, the teachers were vaccinated. Um, so I think that some of these exceptions to the rule and policies here, but not quite there, I think you, 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 there was a much more variety in, in the way grandparents responded to this up till now. I think you're right. It was very individual. And certainly, if you would like to share your story, the phone lines are always open as we hop from topic to topic. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Okay, gentlemen, David Kravitz and uh, Bill Van Gorder, the new session of Parliament begins to Today, with most of the same MPs in their seats as before the September 20th federal election, as long as they are double vaccinated or have a medical exemption. What can we look forward to uh, for Zoomers? What what do you want to hear in the throne speech tomorrow? Today, they elect a speaker. Tomorrow, we hear the throne speech from Governor General Mary Simon. What's still undone that needs to be done up? Bill, I'll start with you. Well, the huge issue with uh, with older Canadians is uh, uh, the the economy, the, the rise in the cost of living. As we've talked to Jane on this program uh, many times over the last year, uh, older Canadians have faced uh, more pressure from increased costs than any other sector of the uh, population because they depended on so many things before that uh, came to the no cost donated or contributed or helped by 
family and friends and neighbors, those things have gone. Uh, food costs have gone up, as everybody uh, knows, but that's a major part of, of the uh, expenses of any uh, uh, senior. So although health care and other issues are important, every time we survey our CART members from coast to coast, they tell us that cost of, cost of living is the, uh, is the biggest issue they, they face, and they don't think the government has paid, has paid or will pay enough attention to it. They, they were very disappointed during the election uh, that it wasn't uh, a bigger issue. And frankly, the political parties and political leaders, none of them really seem to understand the situation, the financial situation that COVID has left seniors in this country. Well, absolutely. You have people on fixed incomes, on their pensions, and certainly they have not gone up the amount they receive 5% year over year. And yet the most recent inflation numbers we had, David, were 4%, 4.7% inflation uh, had gone up 4.7% from October of last year to October of this year. And that is not matched in the amount that uh, seniors are receiving uh, from their pensions. No, it's getting increasingly difficult, and Bill's completely right. It's the hot-button issue. I'm not, uh, you know, my heart isn't going pitter-pat here with, with op- stirring waves of optimism that they're going to pay any attention to this because I don't think they know what to do about it. I don't think they, uh, it, it runs against their other spending plans. Um, I do think, though, it's going to be a tremendous issue, and I think this may be one issue, I just float that out there, where we're going to see some spillover from the reaction of people uh, in the United States to the same problem, mm-hmm. um, because it is a universal problem. It's one that's not regional. It's one that you can, and I think that the inflation is uh, really responsible for the drastic uh, collapse of uh, President Biden's uh, popularity in the polls. And I think uh, they've got a congressional election next November, which means it's going to be noisily on the front pages for a whole year. And I think you could see some spillover into here with, well, what are we doing about it? And especially if we keep seeing the same shortages uh, in the supply chain and the same uh, increases in the cost of especially food, as Bill pointed out. Bill, uh, as the chief policy officer for CARP, I mean, where is CARP moving in that direction in terms of offering solutions, uh, encouraging the government to help seniors during this difficult time of inflationary pressure? Yeah, well, we're treating this issue at CARP the same way we're going to be treating all issues, and that is that we want action now. We don't want long-term plans. We don't want promises that won't take effect till four or five years from now and probably will have yet another uh, uh, federal, federal government. So one of the most specific and one of the ones that's really bothering a lot of older Canadians is the fact that uh, older Canadians who got the CERB uh, are now finding it's being clawed back through a shortage of them on their uh, on their monthly uh, regular monthly payments. This is something they didn't understand. They didn't know this was going to happen. They didn't expect it was uh, was going to happen. And uh, there's going to be huge pressure on the government to uh, to turn around on that one and say we're not going to take that money that the the seniors accepted in good faith last year. And now uh, we're clawing back. So one of the first things that CARP is looking for is a change in that situation. And the government will do something about it now, not next year, uh, not years from now, but now, as soon as they can, after this government uh, sits again and begins to be able to take some action. You can always find more information at carp.ca. And if this story sounds like your story, uh, it always helps uh, Bill and David uh, form new policy around um, how to help older people better. Uh, So you're welcome to call in as we continue to discuss this week's issues affecting Zoomers. 416-360-0740, toll-free, 1-866-740. 
740-4740. Before we uh, leave Parliament, we do have a new seniors minister, Kamal Kara. She is the new seniors member uh, minister. She's also the MP for Brampton West. Uh, is there, in terms of a relationship, what we expect to see her do, uh, the impact she could make? David, what are we looking for? He defined what she's, you know, what is her mission statement going to be? Um, Bill pointed out that CARP is looking for direct action. Increasingly, our focus is on, you know, what can you deliver right now? Um, and I know that uh, I think we're going to be talking to her shortly and then trying to impress what some of the priorities are. It would be refreshing change to see a seniors minister come in and say, look, there's three things I can do. I'm going to do them. Here they are, ABC, rather than some more um, high-sounding verbiage about how wonderful seniors are and we've got to take good care of them and that little there, 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 dear, you know, pat on the head that we so often get from these folks. So I'm not prejudging her, but I think that um, she's going to have to step up with some specifics. Uh, that's what we're going to be looking for. And Bill, your thoughts on Kamal Kara, the new federal seniors minister? Well, we do have high expectations uh, of her. Uh, our CART members who come from her riding in the Brampton area are very positive about her. They're telling me very good things about uh, what she has talked about doing and what she's capable of. So we're we're setting a high standard for her. We were somewhat disappointed in the last uh, uh, minister of seniors who really didn't seem to understand the sector at all and had no experience in it. This uh, uh, this minister, although she is young, has experience in it. She's she's worked uh, with uh, seniors in her regular job, and we're expecting her to be able to move that uh, ministry from the bottom of the pile where it is now. I don't know if you noticed when when all the ministries were announced, that was the very bottom of the list that mm-hmm. that the uh, premiers at the prime minister's office uh, put out. We're expecting to move that. Uh, up to the top, and we want her to have a voice in cabinet and be able to speak on behalf of uh, of seniors. And we're going to uh, be there both prodding her and assisting her. Uh, CARP has said to uh, previous ministers of seniors, and we'll say again to her, uh, that if she comes through with the kinds of policies that we're looking for and action and programs, then we'll support that. And even if it means cooperation with provincial governments to make some of these things happen, then we will lobby the provincial governments to work with her if she'll if she'll just recognize how important these seniors' needs are and how growingly important they're going to be as as the rest of the world comes out of COVID. We can't leave the older Canadians left admired in the in the results of the COVID pandemic. I love the way both Bill and David just call it the way it is, say it like it is. That's the way we need to hear it. Uh, and um, certainly, as we continue our discussion here with David Kravitz and Bill Van Gorder, and you'd like to get involved in the conversation, remember the lines are always open. We're going to change topics, uh, but I'll give out the numbers again. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740. 740. Bill, you've brought to our attention that November is Falls Prevention Month. So important for our aging demographic. Falls are the number one reason for injury-related death, hospitalization, and ER visits for older adults in Canada. Uh, Staying safe as we age, so very important. Well, it certainly is. And uh, 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 we've taken uh, some strong steps in the direction of trying to help our members understand what they can do to keep themselves uh, safe. Whenever we talk about fun, and I often, when I'm speaking before larger groups, or at least did before, uh, before COVID, if I would mention that fear of falling, Heads would uh, nod, nod, and there'd be no question that this is a very important issue to people of our uh, dem- demographics. So one of the things that uh, CARP is doing a little differently than, than we do on some other issues, although 
we're still encouraging government to take steps to educate people better on falls prevention. Uh, we're also trying to provide resources to help them uh, not uh, not fall, learn what they can do to prevent falls in their own home and themselves. And one of those things that uh, uh, that we did that's that's very current uh, is that our Ottawa chapter uh, prepared an excellent online uh, webinar, uh, which is now on our website. Anybody can go and see it. Uh, just go to the carp.ca uh, website and search on falls prevention. And in that uh, webinar, there's a lot of really good hints about how you should make sure that your home is safe, the kind of professionals that you can get in to help uh, make your uh, home safe, and, and what you and those of you who have uh, older parents who are listening, how you can advise them uh, to make them uh, to make them more safe. You know, one of the big problems we have uh, with seniors in our homes is that we tend to collect things. We tend to have homes or apartments that are overcrowded with with all kinds of furniture and rugs and the things that frankly are just dangerous as we as we get older and we we need to keep the we need to look at those things and make sure that our homes to begin with are uh, safe so that we don't uh, fall because uh, falls as you said are one of the things uh, that uh, uh, the the majority of us are at risk of all the time. You're with the Zoomer Squad here on Zoomer Radio, Jane for Libby, and your phone calls as well. Jamie in Brantford, what would you like to add? I would like to add on how come they keep giving money to uh, child care service, like to the parents, like they just got another $500 increase. What do seniors get? We got $2. give Give us some parameters around those $2. Like we got maybe a $2 increase on our old age. I see. Uh, well, let's put that... And OESP yes. and yes. they get it for nothing. To me, I don't even believe they should be allowed to claim income tax. And if they got anything back, it should go back to the government because it's the government paying for them. Well, David, this goes back, and thank you for calling in, Jamie. This goes back to our initial conversation about seniors uh, dealing with... A five percent 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 increase in inflation. Well, as she said, there she's getting an extra two dollars a month. Well, she puts her finger on exactly the problem, though, is that they haven't cut through all the um, verbiage to really get down to brass tacks. There are people in this country over the age of seventy. Uh, I don't know the number, who are millionaires who don't care if the the cost of living goes up 5%, just Mm -hmm. as there are people in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. So you want to target your uh, benefits to where they can do the most good. And the people who are the most vulnerable, and it's a double whammy, number one, fixed income, number two, senior, because you don't have the same number of years left to make up for lost ground, to get your earnings up over a certain level. You may have been retired and out of the workforce for quite some time. And there you are, and the costs go up and up and up, and your income does not go up and up and up. And you've already cut back probably your lifestyle to where the number of things you can cut is smaller than is typical for younger people. So they're taking the most vulnerable people uh, in the society, and they're not doing right by those people who are really uh, hanging on for dear life. And um, what I'd like to see is somebody just acknowledge that and mm-hmm. say, look, there's, a, there's X million people who are in big, big trouble. And we have to take care of them. We have to help them. And here's our plan. You can call it an emergency plan if you want to. But they're not uh, acknowledging this. They're just just lost in the um, Canada Revenue Agency uh, verbiage. Right. You know, help the people that need help, regardless of age, and help the, and don't help the people who don't need help. I, I think you guys, when you were talking last week with Libby, somebody called in and said those $500 checks, great for the people who needed them, uh, but uh, for those who are 75 and older and don't need them, that's just throwing money away that could be used for people who really do need the help, Bill. Exactly. 
it's it's wrongheadedness and uh, once again a, an entire misunderstanding of uh, what the needs of older Canadians really are. This whole uh, you know the whole childcare. Uh, uh, support issue is one that we we risk being being uh, uh, misunderstood with. No, nobody's against people having support for childcare. Goodness knows uh, the families that need it. That that childcare now that uh, because of inflation and and other problems, both members of the family have to have to work. We're all supportive of helping them get proper child care. But remember, the caregivers are also, there are caregivers who are giving care to older uh, family members, too. And they should be treated in in the same same way. If you're a caregiver, you need some support, whether you're a caregiver to, a, to an older family member or a younger family member. And that's what's being missed in the, in, in the government's whole approach of this not understanding the issue is in family-funded caregiving, whoever that's for, not because you're young or because you're older. Needs-based spending, yes, and, and we will revisit that another time before we wrap up with the Zoomer Squad. I just want to touch on something that we continue to talk about here on Fight Back. We don't just talk about it, uh, you know, we during the pandemic, certainly the horror that happened in long-term care, especially here in Ontario. Uh, we have not dropped that topic. It's been nearly a month that a new long-term care act was introduced by the Ford PCs at Queen's Park, including doubling fines for those who operate homes and fail inspections. Uh, David, I'll start with you. Are we starting to see the results of the these stiffer fines. Uh, it's been very quiet since we've heard about this act. Well, I don't think we're going to see results for a while, and I'm very aware of the debate going on that they they didn't go far enough. They should have uh, made the inspectors, given the inspectors police powers to lay charges and so on. I think the proof is going to be in the action, and we'll see, you know, how this turns out. I think the industry itself is sufficiently worried about its uh, image well, shall we say, and uh, they're going to be maybe very mindful of the negative effects of a half a million or million dollar fine somewhere, um, but maybe I'm being too optimistic. I think the jury's out. I'm not willing to say that they didn't go far enough or that they went too far. I think it'll be how do they uh, implement what they just brought in. Right. Uh, Bill, I'll give you the final word on that. Well, I agree with uh, David, uh, and and of course, inspection doesn't improve the quality or guarantee you're going to have uh, quality. Uh, inspection is too late. Inspection is after it's happened. Mm-hmm. What we need is a whole new approach to long-term care. Get rid of these old institutional. Uh, hospital-based methods and start treating our seniors like the the adult real people that they are. We will leave it there. Thank you, gentlemen, for your input on a number of hot topics this week. Good discussion. Thanks, Jane. Bye, everyone. Thanks, Jane. Bill Bye-bye. Van Gorder is Chief Operating and Chief Policy Officer at CARP, a new vision of aging, and David Kravitz is Chief Membership Officer at CARP and Vice President here at Zoomer Media. Jane for Libby on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. And coming up next, city staff in Mississauga may have some answers to improve road safety. We will discuss next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.